Oh God, you know us. You know us when we sit and when we stand. You always have us present in your mind. And for this, Lord, we thank you. You know the path for our lives and what is best for us. And so, Lord, this morning, even as we pause, as we begin this day, we ask that you would reveal to us the path that we are to walk. Guide us, be Lord to us, so that whatever road we take, we may do it for your glory. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to uh, turn in your Bibles, if you have them, or your app, or whatever you use. We're in 2 Timothy. And we're going to begin reading in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 2, verse 11. Second Timothy 2:11. Here is a trustworthy saying: If we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will also disown us. If we are faithless, he will remain faithful, for he cannot disown himself. Timothy, keep reminding them of these things. Warn them before God against quarreling about words, for it's of no value and only ruins those who listen. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Avoid godless chatter. Because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Their teaching will spread like gangrene. Among them, like our Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have wandered away from the truth. They say that the resurrection has already taken place, and they destroy the faith of some. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with this instruction. This, this inscription. The Lord knows those who are his, and everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. Thus far, this is the word of our God. The theme for this morning is Enduring in Truth. For about a year now, I've been thinking a lot about my death. It's not as if I have a death wish because I know that I have a lot more living that I want to do. But that is why I've been thinking about my death. As most of you know, and if you were here last night, and you know, as you've been part of this discussions here at Synod, I've I've been given an end date to my active employment in full-time vocational ministry, the end of this year. This will mark um, the end of 40 years of employed ministry working in CRC churches, both in Canada and here. And as I was thinking about what life in ministry might look like post-employment, and as I chatted with that with Jeannie, my wife, I knew I needed some help. <laughs> 
some inspiration, some guidance. I figure, see, in my life, I figure I have about 22 years left of life, if the Lord so wills. I look at the history of my family, and I, I look at my mom, my dad, and I look at my own health, and I, I figure I'll have about another 22 years. And throughout those years, I want to continue to live a life of purpose, <laughs> serving God, involved in ministry, and, and just being there to do what God would want me to do. So to give shape to my future, I turn to one of my favorite authors, Donald Miller. Perhaps you've read one of his best-selling books. I've been reading them for decades. Well, in the midst of um, the COVID lockdowns, I enrolled in his online course, which became his latest book, Hero on a Mission. Now, Donald Miller suggests that if you want to know what your life's purpose is, you need to think about your death. And one of the exercises he gets you to do is to write your own eulogy. Among other things, in this eulogy, you'd include things like, you know, what major projects uh, do you, did you work on, did you accomplish? What significant relationships did you develop and, and why? What do those people mean to you? What is the legacy that you hope to leave behind? What's the one thing, just the one thing that you want others to remember you for? What's the one piece of wisdom that you want to pass on to others, to those who come after you? Now, for me, that's been a very helpful exercise. As I move to this point in my life beyond employed ministry. And you might find that helpful yourself. Perhaps you're not at that stage. I know some of you are, but perhaps you're not at that stage where you're ending, you're coming to the end of employed ministry or, or even in your own job and whatever you're doing or whatever career you might be in. But what do you want to be known for? What is the legacy that you hope to leave behind? You know, what have you accomplished and, and why have you been doing the things that you've been doing? As a pastor, as an elder, as a follower of Jesus, a, a father, a mother, a wife, a husband, a friend. I mean, if you had to write your own eulogy, what would you write? And what about your church? Yes, the local church that you're part of or that you serve. Or think of the denomination of which we are part. What is your church known for? What is the legacy that your church is leaving in your community? Often when I go to churches, I ask them the question, if your church no longer existed in your postal code, I mean, what difference would that make to your community? Would they actually miss you? What's the legacy that the CRCA is leaving in Australia and beyond? Beyond that, even into the world. What are we passing on to the next generation? Now, it appears that the Apostle Paul, in the reading that we just did from 2 Timothy 2, had those same thoughts in mind as he writes to Timothy, who he calls his dear son in the faith, his true son. And he urges Timothy he says, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed. I mean, Paul's desire is that Timothy would not only thrive in ministry, 
but that he would do ministry in such a way that he would win God's approval. That he would stand before God, that he would show God that he would be a ministry worker that God would approve of. A worker who has no need to be ashamed of the things that he had done. Those two things really go hand in hand, don't they? For if you're doing ministry in such a way that you have God's approval, <laughs> I mean, you've got nothing to be ashamed of. And they're good aims, aren't they? Wouldn't you agree? I think so. I think about my own life. I, I, I want that in my own life. To do ministry in such a way, whether employed or unemployed, to do ministry in such a way that I not only have God's approval, but at the end of my life, I have nothing to be ashamed of. As pastors, as elders, as deacons, believers, as churches, to hear the words of approval, such as Jesus alludes to in Matthew 25, well done, well done, good and faithful servant. Or to come to the end of your life and stand before God and hear the words that Jesus heard from his heavenly Father. This is my child. I'm with you. I'm well pleased. So what is the best that you and I can do to present ourselves to God as one approved? To follow Jesus and to do ministry in such a way that we have nothing to be ashamed of. What would that look like? Well, in the verses that we are looking at this morning, Paul clearly outlines to Timothy what such ministry would look like. The kind of ministry that would win God's approval. Ministry that is done in such a way that you have nothing to be ashamed of. What does that look like? Well, let's begin noting what the two things that Paul tells Timothy to avoid. Two things that will result in standing before God and we would not be approved. So we got to avoid these things. In fact, two things, if you did those things as a gospel worker, as a pastor, as a minister, as a church, you'll live with regrets and shame. What are those two things? Well, first, it's quarreling about words. Avoid that. Notice what Paul writes, Timothy. He says, warn God's people before God against quarreling about words. <laughs> it's of no value. It only ruins those who listen. Later on in this chapter, uh, Paul goes on to tell Timothy, don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. I mean, language is a beautiful gift. You know, we use words to communicate ideas, promote understanding, and to build people up. But like all of God's good gifts, it can be twisted for useless ends, foolish purposes. In fact, it brings ruin. The Greek word for that is the word where we get the word catastrophe from. You can just imagine, it just turns things upside down. I mean, quarreling over words turns people upside down rather than building them up. And oh, how we love to quarrel over words in ministry and in churches. 
I mean, we get involved in so many foolish and stupid arguments about things that are not essential to the faith. Our arguments that we often have in churches doesn't produce understanding or result in people being built up. And yet in our churches, these things can be so common. I've been at it for four decades, and I've heard these things, you know, arguing about worship and music styles, the volume of the music in our services, the proper attire for attending worship services. In my first, my second congregation, or my third congregation, I had someone who bought me a new suit because he thought I didn't wear the right clothes. I mean, the use of grape juice instead of wine for the Lord's Supper. Whether or not we should allow people to wear black t-shirts since black is the color of the devil. And I come here to Riverbank on Sunday morning as I did this past weekend. And, and they said, well, if you want to find out something about this church, go to the people that wear black t-shirts. <laughs> you know, in my second congregation, I, I, had, I, had a, I had two women that came over to our house. We needed to talk to you about something. And I said, what's the problem? <laughs> And they said, well, you got a, a black leather chair that you always sit in, and black is of the devil. Got to get rid of that chair. And God told us, you got to get rid of that chair. Still have that chair today. <laughs> Arguments over and even a congregational vote to decide if the clock in the sanctuary should be removed. Or a dispute over the kind of coffee served after church. Well, that might be a good one. But, you know, those are just some of the samples of the kinds of arguments that I've heard over the years that people have in church. And then people actually leave church over those things. And you can add to your own list. And Paul's advice to Timothy, he says, stay away from foolish and stupid arguments. They only lead to quarreling. These kinds of arguments have no value. They just ruin those who listen. They only produce quarreling, and quarreling profits no one, and so easily leads to regret. And these things don't win God's approval. Avoid quarreling over words. That's the first thing, Timothy, to avoid. And second, Timothy, of greater importance, is avoid godless chatter. Paul tells Timothy, because avoid godless chatter because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. And here Paul is not just referring to foolish and stupid arguments, but the kind of teaching that creeps into churches that departs from the truth. The kind of ideas, as Paul wrote to Timothy in the first letter, ideas that are contrary to sound doctrine. I mean, this kind of godless chatter was prevalent in the churches of the first century. The communication of ideas that were Void of God, godless, false teaching. As Paul also wrote to one of his other protégés, he said to Titus, avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law because these are unprofitable, these are useless. And for Timothy, it was the false teaching like Himaeus and Philetus were spreading in the church, teaching them that the resurrection had already taken place. I mean, heresy had crept into the early church, such as some early forms of Gnosticism, which denied the bodily resurrection of the dead. That was the same heresy that had crept 
into the church in Corinth that Paul addresses in his first letter. And this godless chatter was spreading like gangrene, like cancer. Like cancer was spreading quickly. The result of this godless chatter was people growing less and less godly. And for some of them, their faith was even destroyed. That's what happens when we allow heresy to remain unchecked. Unchecked gangrene or cancer kills. My kid sister, you know, she's a couple years younger than me, is in her second bout of liver cancer. And one day it will kill her because it's spreading throughout her body. That's what cancer does. It kills. And this warning from Paul is not just pertinent to his day. We need to heed this warning from God's word today as well. There are ideas that are contrary to sound doctrine that are creeping into the church today. And our churches in the CRCA are not immunized against these false teachings. And left unchecked, these false teachings will kill. They'll destroy the faith of some. Godless chatter that departs from sound doctrine is of no benefit to anyone. It only leads to more ungodliness. And those who spread these false teachings will lead eventually to regret and shame. For godless chatter does not win God's approval. Now those are the things that we are to avoid if we want to stand before God as a worker approved, unashamed of the work we have done. Avoid quarreling over those stupid arguments and avoid godless chatter. Ideas that are contrary to sound doctrine. Now as Timothy read this letter, he might have felt overwhelmed over the task of leading churches and perhaps that's what you do as well. I mean, as a, as a church leader, your inbox and your phone calls are in, inundated with foolish and stupid arguments about things that are unessential to the faith. And you're also aware of the false teachings that are ever so slowly creeping into our churches, into the lives of our people, especially the next generation. So what are you supposed to do? What ought we to do as a denomination? What do we need to remember? What will move us to being approved by God and doing church and ministry in such a way that we have nothing to be ashamed of? Well, Paul tells us, doesn't he? He tells Timothy that he ought to do his best to correctly handle the word of truth. Timothy, that's what you got to do. And that's right in the heart, right in the center of this section of 2 Timothy 2. This is the heart of the matter. Timothy is urged to teach the word of God accurately and correctly. I mean, some translations um, have the words rightly dividing the word of truth. And that gets very close to the literal translation. It literally means you got to cut a straight line. Or as John Calvin comments in his passage, we are given the duty of dividing and cutting or dividing or cutting as a father in giving food to his children. We're dividing the bread and cutting it into pieces. Just think of Jesus on the hillsides of Bethsaida when he was given some fish and some bread and Jesus then 
you know, broke that bread and broke that fish and dispensed it, you know, out to all the people that were there. And likewise, we are to take the word of truth, cut it up, divide it up, and dispense it to others, to our hearers, to our churches, to the communities, to the lost around us. Now, what is that word of truth that we are to dispense to others? Now, this word of truth should not come as a surprise to us as Christian churches. In the verses that we looked at this morning, Paul reminds Timothy of something that he wrote about in his first letter. He makes the claim that God's solid foundation stands firm. And Timothy knew right away what Paul was referring to because he had read his first letter. He knew that Paul was referring to the fact that the church of the living God is the pillar and the foundation of the truth. Your church, our church is the CRCA. We are the solid foundation of the truth. At least that's what we ought to be. We've all been entrusted with the word of truth. And just like foundations and pillars support and uphold buildings, as churches we are to support and uphold the word of truth. We're the solid foundation for the word of truth. And what is this truth? What is this word of truth that we are to support and uphold? Well, we could say that the word of truth is the Bible, and we would not be wrong. I mean, in the next chapter, Paul tells Timothy to continue what he has learned and have been convinced of, the Holy Scriptures. These Scriptures, Paul says, are God-breathed, and they're profitable, they're useful. For what? For teaching, for rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness. I mean, do you believe this? I mean, are you convinced of that? I am. Adam walked into um, the church that we are part of, Oasis Church, our, our church up in Queensland. And... Um, Eight years ago, he walked into that church because his GP said, you know, it's probably a good idea you go to church. Good advice from a doctor. He went in there, and a lovely elderly lady, in her 80s, she saw him, welcomed him into church, and said, I got someone you need to talk to. And she brought Adam <laughs> to me. <laughs> you got to talk to Jack. I met Adam, and I learned a few things about him, and I said, Adam, do you have anyone to talk to you about God? And he said, no, I have no one in my life. And I soon got to know that Adam was both hooked on street and prescription drugs. He was an alcoholic. He was unemployed. He struggled with mental health issues. He was disenfranchised from his family. And for the last eight years, I mean, if I was home tonight, I would be spending an hour and a half with Adam tonight. Because I've been doing that every Thursday night with him, whenever I'm home. And all I do is I take the word of God and I cut it up. And I dispense it to him. You know, and over the years, I'm so convinced of it because I've seen it in Adam's life. See him today as a 
a young man, he's now 43 years of age, no longer, you know, dependent on drugs, whether prescription or street, off the alcohol, he's fully employed, he's reconnected with his family, and there's a sprint in his step. He's been transformed. I'm convinced that the Word of God is useful for that. <laughs> That's what Paul told Timothy. You just got to dispense the Word of God to others. And, and not the preaching stuff. We do that as preachers. But that's just giving them a little morsel for 28 minutes on a Sunday morning. But sitting down with someone where you can talk about it, read the Bible with them, divide it up and let them understand it and apply it to their lives. It changes people. It's changed my life. <laughs> it's changed Adam's life. I've seen the old Adam, and I, now I see the new Adam, recreated by the new Adam, who is Christ. Unlike quarreling about words that have no value and only turns people upside down, the Holy Scriptures, the Bible, is useful. It turns things around and right side up. It takes ruined lives and rebuilds them into God-likeness. And if you, as a church leader, support and uphold this word of truth, correctly dividing it and distributing it among the people that you served, and as Paul tells Timothy, you as a man of God will be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And can I say to some of you that you, as a woman of God, will be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Thoroughly equipped. Correctly handle the word of God found in scripture. And you as someone who dispenses the word of God to others, you will not be ashamed. You'll be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And in this way, you'll present yourself before God as one approved. Yes, we are to support and uphold the word of truth found in God's word, the Holy Scriptures. But Paul here in this passage, and he does it so craftily, he gives it some real focus. He drills down the word of truth to two things. Two things. At the bookends of this passage, we are told precisely what those two truths are. There's a divine side and there's a human side to the word of truth. At the one bookend, we are told that the church, the solid foundation and pillar of truth, is sealed with this inscription. And the first half of this inscription gives us the divine side of the word of truth. And the inscription reads, the Lord knows who are his. This part of the inscription refers to our security in Christ. I mean, the good shepherd knows his sheep, true followers of Jesus belong to him. They are his. And at the other bookend of the passage, this very same truth is stated like this. If we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. This is a trustworthy saying, says Paul. <laughs> this is something you could go to the banquet. This is something you could believe in. This is something you could be convinced of. And Timothy is told to keep reminding God's people of those things. This is the word of truth that we are to divide and to distribute and to dispense 
to God's people that we serve or the people that we meet on the street, the people that God puts in our pathway. Our security is in God and in God alone. This divine side of the word of truth is so beautifully echoed in the Lord's day one of the catechism, isn't it? That our only comfort in life and death is that I am not my own, but I belong body and soul in life and death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all of my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. And he watches over me in such a way that not even a single hair can fall from my head. Without the will of my Father in heaven, in fact, all things must work together for our salvation. We're his. We're God's. We belong to him. And when we die, when we die to our sin, we'll also live with him. And if we endure with him, we will also reign with him. There might be those in our world today, and as it was in Timothy's day, that deny that there is such a thing as the resurrection of the dead. But God knows we're his. And we who are church leaders must keep reminding God's people of these things. That's the divine side of the word of truth, but there is also a human side to this word of truth. The second half of the inscription reads, everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. The human side to the word of truth has to do with human responsibility. Yes, our security as God's people is in Christ alone, but we who belong to God must depart from evil to do away with sin and to live godly lives. And if you go back to the other bookend of this same truth, the same truth is stated like this. If we disown him, that is God, he will also disown us. If we are faithless, he will remain faithful, for he cannot disown himself. I mean, those who put their faith in Jesus Christ must turn away from their sin. They cannot continue a godless way of life. And if one does not turn away from evil and sin, God will disown them. And we cannot diminish, we can't, we can't diminish this truth in any way. I mean, sure, God will always remain faithful. He always will, even when we're faithless. But we must turn away from evil. We must turn away from sin. As we confess in the catechism, we are to be genuinely sorry for our sin, to hate it more and more, and to run away from it, and to delight in doing every kind of good as God wants us to do. And Paul says, Timothy, this is a trustworthy saying. This is the stuff that we need to believe and be convinced of. And we must keep reminding God's people of these things. Keep reminding them of these things, Timothy. Notice, my friends, that this church, this foundation, is sealed with only one inscription. Not two. Not a whole bunch of options so that we could kind of pick and choose what we'd like to believe in and hold on to and promote. The word of truth is only one word of truth. But it has a divine side and a human side. The one truth. And, you know, and, and we as, as church leaders and, and, and as believers and as churches, I don't, we can't just sort of pick and choose. 
You know, what, what part of truth do we want to keep reminding God's people about? Do we just keep telling them about, you know, God loves you <laughs> and speak about God's grace and, and all the wonderful things that he has in store for us and, and tell people it's all right, God, God loves you and, and you know, he's paid for all of this. We, we, can, we can do that side, the divine side about our security there in Christ, but, but we also got to flip it to the other side. With human responsibility. Our security is in what Christ has done for us, but our responsibility is to live godly lives. Remove either side of that word of truth, and you have a half-truth. And a half-truth is nothing more than a lie. Godless chatter, stupid arguments, quarreling over words. And what you have is contrary to sound doctrine. It has no value and it will only ruin the people that you spend time with. I've seen that in Adam's life. Because I don't only talk to him about our security that we have in Christ. And it's wonderful to know that he has that security. He knows where his future is heading. But he also knows that he has to right some wrongs and start living a godly life. If we don't do that, that teaching will only tear down and destroy rather than build up. So my friends, keep reminding people of both the divine side and the human side of the word of truth. That which is inscribed on the foundation of our churches. And if you do that, you will be well on your way to doing your best to present yourself to God as one approved. And you'll have no reason at the end of your life to be ashamed of the work that you have done. It is a legacy that you leave to the churches you serve. May the legacy that we leave as a CRCA in Australia, may the legacy that we leave as followers of Jesus be a legacy of truth. May it be said of me and may it be said of you on the day of your death, this one kept reminding me time and time again that our security is in Christ and in Christ alone, that we are his, that we belong to him, body and soul, in life and death, to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. We are his. And this one kept reminding me to turn away from wickedness and sin. And my life has been forever changed by this word of truth that never left her lips, that never left his lips. And may the one day, and I long for that day, when we hear from the lips of our faithful God and Heavenly Father, that he will say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. You're my child, and with you, I am well pleased. Let us pray. Help us, Lord Jesus, head of the church, and head over all things to us as followers of you. Help us to live in purity. May all our words be so pure that you may hear them. May all our deeds be so pure that you may see them. 
May all our thoughts and desires be so pure that they may hear and bear your scrutiny. And so grant, Lord, that being pure in heart, that we may see you. Help us to live in truth. Grant that we may never speak or act a lie. That we will never be misled by false or mistaken beliefs. That we may never evade the truth, even when we do not want to see it. Grant to us, Lord, at all times to seek and to find, to know and to love, to obey and to live the truth. We pray this in the one, even you, Lord Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. Amen.